In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. You may please be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to Friends. Uh, so glad that you're here on what's predicted to be a very rainy and stormy day. And, uh, but you're here and you're warm and you're dry inside. I'm Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. Hopefully you've had a chance, especially if you've been here the last several weeks, to um, get signed up. A part of our group life, it begins today. And if you want to get a part of a class or a group or a community, I encourage you to go back, get signed up. You can even, 11 o'clock today, there are choices. I've been told you need to get to the, to the church history class. It's going to be exciting. You think history's not exciting? Church history's going to be exciting. 11 o'clock, be there. But we have a lot of things going on, so we're, we encourage you to be there. We're also today starting off our new series, Simple Ingredients. And... Uh, it's basically summarized in four key words that we might use to describe Christianity. Christianity in four words. Now, I know when we start talking simple, sometimes things aren't always simple. You know, a few of you were here last week and maybe have been on the internet and have seen that I ventured into the kitchen and to make my first batch of cookies ever. And... Um, yeah, I was lost, as lost as I feel up here with all this stuff around me. But, uh, you know, I, I brought my cookies after I was done into the, into the church, and, and I let people taste them. And, you know, people are so kind. You know? <laughs> kind of like our receptionist, Beth Kelly. She picks up one of the cookies, and she tastes it, and she goes, not bad, not bad. And then she says, you know, these cookies, they're, they're not easy. They're, they can be hard to make. And they're really three ingredients? <laughs> You're just trying to make me feel good, right? It can't be that hard, three ingredients. They, they got to be simple, but it was Steve Jobs who uh, co-founded Apple, and I'm sure other people have said this too. Simple is harder than complex. 
Simple is harder than complex. Pastor Eric and I run into this every week. You know, we can take, it's, it's a lot easier to preach a 45 to 50 minute sermon than it is to try to condense it down to the 25 to 30 minutes. We got to work hard to get it down to 25 and 30 minutes. I know what you're thinking. Pastor, work harder. Work harder. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that. You're thinking it takes, but it does take time. But, but we, have this, we have this urge to make things complex. In fact, management efficient consult, efficiency consultants tell us that the brain is a stimulation hog. The brain is a stimulation hog. You may remember nothing else that I said today, but you'll remember that. The brain is a stimulation hog. It loves to be busy. It loves to be busy. In fact, what they tell us is that the brain keeps busy by understanding, solving, deciding, debating, arguing, influencing, growing, opining, and whining. It's always working. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Your mind's always going, right? It's always working. And we look at something and we say, it can't be that simple. And so our brain starts to tell us it can't be that simple. It's got to be more complicated than that. And so we start thinking of ways to make it more complicated so to justify our thinking that it can't be that simple. I know I fell into that trap yesterday. I walked into my office and I said, it can't be as simple as four words to describe the Christian faith. So I thought, what if we had 52 weeks to go through this message and we had 52 words? It took me less than five minutes to type in my list of 52 words to describe the Christian faith because we make it complicated. In fact, for those years that we have 53 weeks, 53 Sundays, I even got a 53rd because I realized I left out sanctification. How could I, I, as soon as I would have shared this with somebody, they said, hey, you left out something important. Like, yeah, no matter, it's, it's a fear we have. We, we don't want to oversimplify things. But over these next few weeks, we want to try to break down in as simple form as possible. What is Christianity? What it means to be a Christian? Without getting complicated. And I think it's great to begin by looking at a very simple verse to begin with. It's that first verse in the first book of the Bible, Genesis it says this in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we start with creation. Creation. Ten words here that say so much. You know, I've been taught when trying to simplify, you, you eject or get rid of the obvious and you insert the necessary. And it seems like maybe that's what God's doing here. He's, he's some of the obvious. And, you know, today, as we look around this world and as we embrace science and what it tells us about our creation and our world, we see this is a complicated world. You know, it's amazing that we can predict within days or hours of when the next Halley's Comet or other comets are going to circle around the Earth. We can predict all kinds of events because of the mathematical certainty of our universe. But that complication, that the obvious is left out and, and God just sticks here with the necessary. The when, the who, and the what. And so he says, right now, he says, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you the when. It's in the beginning. The beginning of marked time. The beginning of, of, of time as we know it. Who? God. The one who preceded the beginning. 
the one who is all-powerful, Elohim, the supreme God. What? Created. In the beginning, God created. Over the years, theologians and philosophers have, have used a Latin term to describe what God did in this creation process, and it's ex nihilo, out of nothing, out of nothing. God, who was pre-existing, but nothing else existed. God created. He took nothing, and we know nothing plus nothing equals nothing. God took nothing, and he added to it. He introduced into the world. And it says, God created the heavens and the earth. By the power of his word, he spoke. And the world came into existence. We read through Genesis 1, and we didn't read all the story there, but you, you might know the story if you're familiar with Genesis 1. God starts now, and he, he's got this, this universe that the scripture tells us it's formless and it's empty. And he starts to bring form to it. He starts to bring form by, by creating a light. And he separates the light from the darkness. And we have night and day. He, he separates the seas from the water and the atmosphere, the moisture. And he creates a sky. He starts to give form to the creation. He looks at the earth and he pulls back the seas and dry land appears as he gives form to his creation. But it's still empty. And so he starts to fill his creation. And he fills his creation with plants of every kind. And then he fills the sky with stars and moon and sun. Fills the seas with fish. All creatures that swim. He fills the sky more with birds that fly. And finally, finally, the scripture we come to today, he begins to fill the earth the land with creatures that walk. And then his crown jewel, which we find in our scriptures, chapter 1, verse 26, says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move around the ground. We see this really unique conversation among God himself. It's, it's not like me and you talking to ourselves. Does anybody else talk to themselves? You, you saw in my video, that was, that was me talking to myself when I was making the, making the uh, well, I was reading too, reading instructions and talking. I do that all the time. This is not God talking to himself. This is God having a conversation among himself. We start to see this, this unveiling of this plurality of this one God that we'll see more and more as we walk through this series. And even more as we walk through this message today. But we see the characteristics of God. And he said, I've created, I'm going to create these individuals, these persons, mankind in my image so that they may rule over. God made us on purpose. God made us for a purpose. Not an accident. Not a second thought. Not a, oh, I created these guys. What do I do with them now? God created us for a purpose and on purpose. And it was to rule. To rule over the earth and the fish and the wild animals and all the other creatures. And so it goes on in verse 27, God acts. 
And so, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He did it. There they are, created in the likeness and in the image of God. Like God and to represent God. Notice that it also says male and female. Both created in the image of God. As he amongst himself said, let's create male and female in our image. There's another Latin phrase that theologians and philosophers have used for centuries to describe this. It's imago Dei, in the image of God. We are created in his image. We have the imago Dei within us. Mankind is not just another creature created in a long list of animals, tall and short and fat and wide and skinny and crawling and walking, flying and swimming. We're created with the Imago Dei stamped on us. Now that is more impressive to some people than it is to others, I admit. My friend and your friend, Calvin and Hobbes, <laughs> made in God's own image, yes, sir. <laughs> My wife would say, that's such a man thing there. <laughs> women, women tend to, at least in my experience, is women tend to walk by mirrors. Man, we see a mirror, it's, oh. <laughs> made in God's image, yes, sir, check it out. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Calvin's quite impressed. I'm made in God's image. Hobbes, not so. <laughs> God must have a goofy sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. We look at each other sometimes and we say, oh, God must not have had a real good day. <laughs> or, yeah, God had a great day. And then we say that jokingly, but we realize that there is something about being made in God's image, of having that Imago Dei stamped on us. In fact, I think King David was a lot like Calvin, especially when he was sitting down to write Psalm 139, listen to these words. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? And we know that what it says is the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And I see David here as he's writing this, glorifying God. It says, I praise you, I worship you. When I understand what God has done, when I understand that God has created mankind in his own image after creating this vast universe that works like clockwork, how cool is that? How wonderful is that? How amazing is that? And I see David just praising God, saying, thank you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I can see David in front of the mirror. Made in God's image. Yes, sir. <laughs> How about that? 
I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible says in Genesis 2, that gives a little more description. It says God, when he came to making man, he picked up some dust and formed the dust into the, into the form of a man and breathed his very breath of life into him. My days were ordained. God had a purpose, and he has a purpose. He has a job description. We see that in verse 28, fleshed out a little more. It says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He says, you've got some things you need to do. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You know, that's one command of God we haven't had any problem doing. <laughs> be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That's the one command that we seem to have gotten down. I asked Siri yesterday, I said, Siri, how many people are on the earth? And she said, as of 2017, the population of the earth was 7,530,103,737. I've never seen anything that specific. <laughs> 7.53 billion people, all with Imago Dei. We are there to rule, to, sub, to subdue the earth, to rule over it. God has handed this critical duty over to us, and yet we continue to struggle. What does it really mean to be created in the image of God? I certainly don't feel like it when I look in the mirror. I certainly don't feel like it when I'm falling short and that image seems to be stained. What does it mean to be in the image of God? Philosophers and theologians have been trying to put that in words for you. You can go buy books, book after book after book, on being in the image of God. But yet, we have in our hands, a lot of us, on our phones, a perfect example of what the image of God is like. In fact, Paul, in Colossians, his letter to Colossians, verse 115, he says this, the Son, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He says, Jesus is that image. Think of a mirror. Jesus is the mirror that reflects what God looks like to you and to me, to each one of us. Jesus is that perfect image. If you want to know what the image of God looks like, we need to take a closer look at Jesus and see what he looks like. The next verse, Paul goes on and says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We see here in Jesus, he said, he was there with God in the creation. When God says, let us make man in our image, let us make, Jesus was there, the Father was there, the Holy Spirit was there. They were creating us. And he says, not only was Jesus there at the creation, he's holding all things together, and he was there even before creation. And he's here now to show us vividly what God is like. He's here to, to, to reflect God's image so we can see it. The writer of Hebrews says this in the third verse of the first chapter, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. He not only creates, but he sustains. And he came and he lived among us 
as the exact representation. That word exact representation is a, is a, there's a precision to it. It's the mold of God. And he lives his life and reveals God to us. He reveals God in new, in fresh, powerful ways, in some ways that surprise us from time to time. In fact, Anthony Hokema, who wrote a book, a textbook in the image of God, has this to say in that book. He says, central in the image of God is not such matters as reason or intelligence. And we could talk a lot about having reason, intelligence, and morals, and things like God. But central, rather, is love. Since what stands out more than anything else in the life of Christ is his amazing love. In Christ, in other words, we see clearly what is written in Gen- what is hidden in Genesis 1. Namely, what man as the perfect image of God should be like. You see, we think it's cool to have intelligence like God and, and authority of God and maybe even the, the morality of God or the, the decision-making powers of God. But Hokema is saying, look at Jesus and how he represents God and what is outstanding above all is his incredible love for people. Think of this from God's point of view. So many times we think of it from our point of view. But from God's point of view, he's looking down and he's seeing people, humans, mankind that he created in his own image. Can he not love them? These are, these are not, as much as we like our puppies and our, and our kitties and our cows and all those other pets we have. Well, maybe you don't have, I'm in the city now. We, you don't have cows as pets. God looks down, he says, these are ones created in my own image. Even after the fall, and we're going to talk about the fall and sin, but even after that, in fact, Noah, in Genesis chapter 9, God's talking to Noah after the flood, and he says this, if someone murders a fellow man, I will require that person's life. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed, for God has made man humans in his image. Even after the flood, we still possess that image of God. Oh, it's not perfect. Some say it's been destroyed, but it's not been destroyed. It's been mm, distressed. It's been marred. It's flawed. But we still bear the image of God, even after the sin, even after sin entered the world. God said, these folks don't take a human life because they were created in the image of God. I love what... uh, um, you, you, well, humans, we're, we're, we're valuable. We're, we're priceless because of that. And I like what a Pastor uh, Matt Chandler of a, down in Texas has to say when he talks about this. He says, are, are we valuable or not? Is there something special about a human? And he, he tells his story. He says, let's, let's say, I, and he tells his family. He says, I have a husband and wife, my wife and myself, and I have two kids, a boy and a girl. And we have two pets. We have a dog and we have a horse. A horse is a pet for some people. Maybe more than a cow. And he says, he says, so we have the mom and dad, and we have son and daughter, and we have dog, and we have horse. If things get tough, if finances come short, if we can't support all of these, 
Who goes? Who goes? Now, I know some of you women are saying the man, but I know, I, I know you're not serious. Who goes? Of course, we know who goes. Dog, horse, they go. Kids, mom, dad. There, there's something special. There's something about that Imago day. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at us as other creatures. He sees a person created in the image of God. Last week, Pastor Eric, in talking about Zacchaeus, remember he talked about Zacchaeus and Jesus' interaction with that tax collector, this hated man. And, and, and Jesus stopped and, and looked up in a tree and spoke to him. And, and, and Pastor Eric asked, what do you think Jesus saw in Zacchaeus? He saw potential. Yeah, he saw potential. He saw what he could be. Yeah, he saw what he could be. But I believe first and foremost, he saw someone up in that tree bearing the image of God. That's someone valuable. That's someone that I should spend my time with. That's someone that's lost, and I'm going to go find him. All through the Bible, all through especially the Jesus' ministry, you see him looking at people, and I know he's seeing the Imago Day, the image of God in each one, the crowds as they gathered. The crowds would come and they'd gather around Jesus. He would preach, he would heal. As he looked out and would see the Imago Dei, the image of God in each one. A woman caught, caught in adultery. They were hauling her before Jesus. They wanted to stone her. He would look at her and see the Imago Dei, the image of God in that precious one. The little children that would have been brought to Jesus. He said, don't you dare, don't you dare cause one of these little ones to stumble. These are, these are children, precious ones, bearing the image of God. They're made in the image of God. They have the Imago Dei. Demon-possessed, running around, no clothes, wild hair, cutting themselves. When Jesus would look at them, what would he see? I believe he would look at them and see, that's a person. That's a person. The Imago Dei. The Samaritan woman. Whoa. Samaritan, hated race, hated race. And here was a woman searching for love in all the wrong places. She couldn't get, she couldn't get, uh, find what she's looking for. Going through husband after husband after husband after husband, Jesus says, no, I'll care for you. I see the Imago Dei in her. Roman centurion, Romans, the oppressors, came to Jesus and said, please heal my servant. Everybody's like, get away, get away. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Roman? No problem. Imago Dei. The disciple who would, de who would deny him. Jesus still saw the Imago Dei in Peter. The prostitute who came to his feet poured out her heart with tears and anointed his feet with oil. Others were saying, get her out of here. What's going on? Jesus says, no, that's a woman with Imago Dei. A thief on the cross next to him. Imago Dei. And it doesn't stop. It didn't stop when Jesus left the earth. God looks today and he looks at the crowds and he sees people searching, crying out, with the Imago Dei stamped on them. Those are mine. I created them in my own image. The individual caught in addiction, hanging on by a thread. They've got the Imago Dei. 
image of God. The man, the woman in prison, deservedly so, but they got the Imago Dei. They're worthwhile. They're precious. The undocumented individual living down the street trying to provide for his or her family. The Imago Dei. The refugee. The one caught in human trafficking. The downtrodden. The marginalized. The Steeler fan. <laughs> Sorry. Mark, where are you? <laughs> Those without hope, Mago Day. The brokenhearted, the suicidal, Mago Day. The healthy and independent, and those with special needs, Mago Day. The people you love the most, and the people that drive you crazy. The people that annoy you just opening their mouth. The people that when they come, you'd like to turn and walk the other direction. They've got the Imago Day. You, me, and 7.53 some billion people on this earth created in the image of God. And he loves them. He cares for them just like Jesus took care of all of those who were brought to him. So the question for us this morning is simply this. How am I doing in reflecting the image of God? You know, there's two, two aspects, two understandings here. One, understanding that I am created in God's image. Praise his name. We worship, I thank him. I praise him for this marvelous creation that he sees us worthy of loving. But the second part of that is there are people all around you also created in his image. And God loves them. Are you loving them like Jesus would? Are you understanding that they're created in God's image even if there's issues, <laughs> even if there's problems? To paraphrase Hokuma in his book later on, he says we can't all, in fact, none of us can do everything that Jesus did, right? We can't walk on water. We can't raise the dead, can't calm a storm. But he says this, but we must find our own way of reflecting God's image. What's your way of reflecting God's image? You're not responsible for 7.53 billion people. You're only responsible to reflect the image to the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, however many you're rubbing shoulders with this week. You said, what's God's image? Ha! We just went through Jesus and how he related, how he loved, how he cared. Our value, our value is that we were created in God's image on purpose and for a purpose. That's why we were created. Our story this morning ends this bite with this summary from Scripture. It says this, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. The only time the word very is used. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array.
God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets fall. If the stars were made to worship, so alive. I can see your heart and
chase down my heart through all the my failure and pride. On a hill you create the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to Lord, this morning we just uh, offer ourselves to you, um, the one who created us, knowing that we are totally dependent on you. It's you that holds everything together. And so we come and offer ourselves in gratitude, in praise, in adoration. Lord, help us now as we go. Lord, help us as we focus this week on your love for us. Not because of the great things we've done, the accomplishments, nor not because we've managed to rise to some level of position, or even because of the goodness of our nature, but Lord, because we've been created in your image and we are stamped with an imago day. Lord, go with us today. It's your name we pray. Amen. As you go today, you know, we here at Friends are a community of believers who are working together to grow more and more like Christ into his nature, into his being. And so we invite you to join us on that journey. And if one thing, if you're interested in joining us here as a member of Friends Church, we have some uh, opportunities for you coming up in September to get involved and to know what it's like to join with others, just learning to live out what it's like to be a family of those created in God's image coming together to serve Him. I encourage you to look at your program information there on membership and, and coming together. I encourage you to do that. And I encourage you to go this week. You don't know what chance you're going to have to mirror that reflection. 
to be God, to be Jesus to others. Take advantage of that opportunity. Remember, you're not responsible for 7.53 billion. You're only responsible to share Jesus' love, to reflect God to the ones you meet, to the ones you care for, your family, your friends, those who you work with. The person that cuts your hair. Whoever it may be this week, love them like Jesus would and show God to them. Go in the peace and the mercy of God. Be a reflection. In Jesus' name, you're dismissed. If you forgot, ushers, offerings are in the back at boxes at every table or at every door. Please drop off your offering and your comment cards. Thank you.